This is the Blaze and Access Podcast. Disability news and perspective for Thursday, November 30th. I'm Blaze Bryant. In August of 2016, I spoke with Paralympic athlete Kevin Broussard, who initially started out doing the shot put and then switched to judo when shot put was not selected for the Paralympics. I asked Kevin, how did you develop a love for adaptive sports? Well, I grew up in Southern California, about an hour south of Los Angeles. And um, at the time, I was in high school, and I went to a mainstream school, public school, San Clemente High School, and I was on the track and field team there. And I was already competing and um, throwing shot put and discus, and I got a flyer in the mail. It was literally that simple. I got a flyer in the mail from a, a group called the Junior Blind of America, located in Los Angeles, and every year they have a thing called uh, Junior Blind Olympics where they have different sporting events and a little competition, and so I went up there and I competed in uh, track and field. I broke their shot put record that day, and I got introduced to this whole new world of adaptive sports, something that I, I never realized existed, and uh, from that point on, I got connected with the United States Association of Blind Athletes, and uh, Later that summer when I was 17, that was 2007, I competed at the World Youth Games in Colorado Springs, and I took home a silver. I uh, lost by half an inch to a guy in shot put, a Russian guy. I'll never forget that, so uh, it still bothers me to this day. But um, So, yeah, that's how I got introduced to it. And then since then, I've competed internationally in track and field, did that for eight years. And unfortunately, my two events, shot put and discus, were not included in the 2016 Paralympics in Rio, so I decided to make the switch over to judo, um, like you mentioned, and am aiming for a spot in the 2020 Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And um, I'm I train at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, and uh, it's a really great program. We train with the Olympic team as well, so they've done a great job of combining those two programs together. And ready to make my run for Tokyo. Why judo? Why judo? That's a great question. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> um, the reason I'm doing judo is because I'm a, I'm a pretty big guy. I probably should have started with that. I'm six foot five, two hundred and sixty five pounds. I'm a fairly strong person, and um, I've I just figure that I can use my strength and my size, um, and when I fight people in judo, and hopefully um, have use that to my ability and. Um, just get the most out of my potential that way. And um, I was recruited by one of the judo coaches named Ed Liddy. He was a bronze medalist in the Olympics in 84. And he's the uh, the U.S. Paralympic coach as well. And uh, he recruited me at the last World Games in Seoul, Korea, once I found out that my events in track were not included in the Paralympics. And I decided to give it a shot, and it kind of worked out because I moved out to Colorado Springs last year to start working for the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes. And... Now I'm at the training center with the best athletes and coaches in the whole country. So it all kind of just lined up, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Had some bumps and bruises so far, but that's, that's the sport I chose, and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm making a lot of progress. So it's, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. And what's athletics without a few bumps and bruises and injuries along the way anyway, right? Exactly. That's, that's one thing I hear a lot about. Um, I do membership and outreach for the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes, and that's one of the biggest barriers I hear from parents who don't want to get their their young kids involved in sports and recreation is they're worried about them getting hurt and getting getting injured possibly and 
my response is, well, yeah, that's that's sports, you know, that's that's life. It's you might get hurt doing anything that's fun. So it's it's all part of the process. And I mean, we could all sit in our house and do nothing our whole lives, but that would be no fun. So you got to get out there and yeah, maybe risk it a little bit, but it's worth it in the end. Absolutely. So when did you find out that your that your events were not going to be chosen for Rio? I found this out at the end of 2014, and by that time, I'd already been training uh, full-time for the World Games in track and field, and I'd also been um, running a pretty heavy fundraising campaign at that time to get myself to the World Games in Korea. And for those who don't know, if you compete on the international level, for the most part, you have to fundraise your own money and get your get yourself to these competitions and they're not cheap and especially the airfare and everything. So by that time, like I said, I had already invested so much time in training and fundraising to go to these games that I decided to stick with track. And then after the world games in 2015 to make the switch over to judo, um, it's, you know, it's tough watching, um, you know, the Paralympics, not going to lie. When I watch the track and field, I feel like I should be there, but, um, I've kind of had my pity party, and I can, I've, I've just decided to not use that negative energy to think about what could have been and use that energy instead to focus on the road ahead and get ready for Tokyo and, and do everything I can in my power to make sure I'm on the Paralympic team come 2020. I see you as one of those people that just channels that negative energy. And when you're in the dojo, which is what you play judo in, I could see you as one of those people that is out in the mat and you just harness that negative energy and just take it out there. It's true. It's true. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great way to take out stress. That's for sure. And you know, that's kind of something I've done my whole life. Um, I have star guards and I've been blind since birth. And, um, for those who don't know, star guards is a juvenile form of macular degeneration, uh, causes central vision loss. And my whole life people have doubted me and, um, I, I've used that negative energy to prove them wrong. I'm always out to prove the naysayers wrong, and it's one of my biggest motivators, and um, I think that's really carried over to um, my professional life, my uh, athletic life, in terms of uh, building my work ethic and making sure that I am the best because I'm always out to prove people wrong. And um, Again, like you said, it's using that negative energy to focus in on what I can do and make sure um, I get the most out of my potential. For sure. And is it safe to say, I don't want to speculate, but is it safe to say that had they chosen your events in Rio that we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because you'd be too busy down there? Yeah, it's it's, it's very safe to say that. Uh, if you would have asked me to do an interview right, during this time when I was in Rio, I would I would politely decline or wait till after the games because it's, it's all about focus and especially – Leading up to major competitions, I'm trying to stay off the phone and social media and all those all those fun distractions that fill up our day. Um, just because the the stage is so big, and I don't I wouldn't want to squander that opportunity. So, in a way, it's good it's good for us. We can connect, but uh, again, <laughs> looking at the looking at the positives, not the negatives. Kevin Broussard and me, Blaze Bryant, from August 2016. You talked about switching over to judo, and you said that you are six foot five. And one of the first thoughts that crept into my head as you said that is, my gosh, 
you'd be one heck of a goalball player in all likelihood. Because to sort of explain what goalball is, the ball is about the size of a basketball. It has bells in it. And the court is 54 meters long by uh, 27 meters wide. I think I may have messed up the dimensions. But either way, it, the the dimensions are two to one. And I would figure that given given your height that you'd be able to defend the court pretty well too. <laughs> I think you're right. And I've had a chance to play it. I've, I've only played goalball probably three or four times. And just to elaborate a little bit more on what you're saying, um, goalball is probably the most popular sport for the blind worldwide. And um, the, the U.S. men's team is third in the world in the Paralympics uh, going into Rio and the women is number one. And um, for, for my, my work, I work for the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes. We run the uh, Paralympic programs for both sides. And I've had the chance to go out to our resident program, which is in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where the men's team trains full-time. And uh, I've had a chance to train with the men. And it's, it's a fun game. And it's, <laughs> although I am big, I have very, very little experience in the game of goalball. And it's one of those sports that takes a lot of time to, to get used to and perfect, especially on the international level. And I mean, who knows, down the road, uh, maybe I'll have another sport change in my life, but right now one one sport's change is enough for, for me. But it is it is a really fun sport, and um, I get to teach it a lot as part of my job. We go out to schools and different organizations and show them how to play goalball. It's a very uh, experiential thing for most people, especially if you have sight. Uh, in goalball, you have to wear these blacked-out eye shades, no, no matter what your visual impairment is. Right. Um, if you're partially sighted like me or someone that's totally blind, so it's it's an unbelievable sport, and it's starting to get a lot more publicity online, and people are starting to realize how unique of a sport it is because it is the only uh, Paralympic sport that is Paralympic specific. So it's not a a deviation or a different form of an able-bodied sport that they have adapted for the Paralympics. So it, it's a really fun game, and I, I love getting out on the court. I don't get to do it as much as I like just because I'm so focused on judo, but, yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe 2024, 2030, when I'm past my judo age, I'll, I'll throw on some gold ball goggles and, and give it a shot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there there definitely wouldn't be an issue with you whipping the ball down the court for sure. <laughs> So I want to talk about now your experience at the 2015 games in Seoul. So what was that like for you? Because that was your first time really competing, because I know in 2011, as I was reading on the USABA website, which, by the way, is usaba.org, if you'd like more information on sports for the blind and other great stuff, that you were at the time in college at the University of Laverne getting your communications degree and just sort of shadowing people in training. So what was that like for you to be over in Korea? Well, you're right. It was totally different than any other competition I've been in. Um, For the 2011 World Games in Turkey, I was in the middle of my track and field season at the University of Laverne. So my training, my coaching, my weightlifting, all that was all planned for me. So there was a very regimented schedule that I had to follow. And by the time I went to Turkey for 2011, I was already ready to go and ended up taking two gold medals there. But for for the World Games last year in 2015, I had to train completely on my own. So there wasn't a coach there to hold my hand. There wasn't a weightlifting person there to give me a program. And it was different. So I had to go out and find my own coach. I had to 
um, put together my own weightlifting plan, things like that, to make sure I was ready to go for the games. And I was also dealing with a back injury at that same time, trying to balance those three things. And um, it worked out really well. I found a coach that really connected with me, and I, I learned a lot of great things. And um, by the time I had uh, gone to Korea, I rebroke my American record and, and won the gold medal. So it, it was a, a totally different experience uh, just doing it all on my own. And it was, it was one of those things where if I wanted to skip practice, then I could skip practice. It wasn't like in college or high school where if I skipped practice, my coach would be chewing me out. It was it was all on me. And, you know, when it, whether it comes to training for a big competition or, uh, you know, trying to cut back on junk food to get healthier, it's all about <laughs> willpower. And you got to make sure that it's, it's all about personal responsibility. That's there's no trick to it when it comes to to achieving a goal, whether it's losing weight or training for a competition. It's all about that decision when you could sleep in or you could eat that candy bar, but you decide not to, and uh, it all comes down to that decision making process. My shoulders are slouching as you as you are, you know are talking about the cutting back the junk food, the whole thing. <laughs> Sorry if that's a sore subject for you. <laughs> I guess I've got to harness that negative energy, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> take it out of the gym. <laughs> yeah, so take me – so how difficult was that process for you to find your coach and develop your own strategy of training and weightlifting plan? You know, the weightlifting portion wasn't as bad. It wasn't too bad because I've been lifting weights since I was a freshman in high school and um, – I kind of had my regimen down in terms of what I know worked for me and especially the sports-specific lifts. So that wasn't too bad. The hardest part, um, I found the coach fairly easily, and he was a really, really great coach. The biggest issue was the transportation up there because at the time I was living in Southern California, and I'd have to take two buses to get up there. So it took an hour and a half to get up to practice, an hour and a half back. You couple that with a two- to three-hour practice, and you're looking at a six- to seven-hour day just to practice. So I would I would normally go on my off days. Um, I'd have probably two off days a, um, a week, and I'd spend six and seven hours getting myself to practice. And that was the biggest, the biggest commitment was, all right, it's not just going to practice around the corner. It's getting on the bus, making the transfers, schlepping all my shot put and discuses around on the bus. and um, But, again, it was something that I wanted to do. And usually when I think about sitting out of practice or, or skipping a workout, um, I just think of what I'd be doing instead. I go, all right, if I skip this practice, I'm just going to be sitting on the couch watching Netflix and guzzling Cheetos or whatever. So let's, <laughs> let's be productive today. Let's get on the bus. Let's throw on some headphones and pass the time. And um, I would listen to uh, to different podcasts and motivational speakers on the way up, and just try to focus on that goal. Because uh, if you want to be the best at anything, you got to go that extra mile. So if that means taking the hour and a half bus to get to practice and the hour and a half bus to get back, and that's what you got to do. Because otherwise, you're just going to be average. And for me, that's something that I never want to be. Absolutely. So. I mentioned earlier that you went to the University of Laverne and you received your communications degree. So how has that helped you in this current job as a membership and outreach coordinator at the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes? It's helped me quite a bit. Uh, 
because I have to go talk to different groups and organizations about the importance of adaptive sports for the blind and the impact it can have. And I use my own personal story quite a bit, and I have I have a little speech that I use for the most part about my story and how adaptive sports has changed my life. And that's really what the biggest message I try to evoke to people as I try to spread blind sports across America and across the world, doing my part uh, with the U.S. Association of Blind Athletes. And uh, just my story in a nutshell was, uh, like most kids with a visual impairment when I was younger, I was bullied and teased a lot, mm-hmm. like nonstop. From the second I walked onto school campus from in kindergarten, I remember getting teased. And I remember my first bully, his name was Evan, and he he punched me square in the nose just because I was blind. I didn't do anything to him. It was just because I was blind because I was different. And so I felt very ostracized and told at a very young age from a lot of my peers that I couldn't do certain things, sports being one of them. And then once I was introduced to sports, it changed my entire outlook on life and what I can do. All the things people were saying that and all the limits people set on me, they were false. And I see it a lot in, in kids with disabilities. They've been told their whole life, you can't do X, Y, Z because you're blind. Um, for the, uh, I don't want to use the word coddled, but that's probably the, the best word to use is they've been coddled and kind of sheltered. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe they're not necessarily told they can't do X, Y, and Z, but you know, subconsciously they haven't done all the things that their other peers have done. So. We try to show everyone that the adaptations nowadays for blind athletes and disabled athletes are out there, and there is literally no excuse nowadays not to be an active disabled person, and we try to help people achieve um, whatever goals they have. So if it's somebody that just uh, maybe they have a sedentary lifestyle and they want to work up to running a 5K or someone that's uh, like me who wants to go to the Paralympic level and everything in between, uh, we're here to make sure the, those people have the resources and the network to make sure those goals are achieved and um, really live their lives to the fullest. Absolutely, and I've experienced that. I've been you know, an active blind athlete. I went to a lot of different camp abilities, sports camps throughout the country. So it it is amazing, absolutely amazing how many people are told with disabilities that you can't, you can't, you can't. And then you're in an environment where it's you can, you can, you can, and then you do, and then you think to yourself, who's going to have the last laugh here? Mm-hmm. It's, exactly. It, it's it's pretty amazing. It's um, just to see what people accomplish. And a lot of times I've noticed in the, the coverage of the Paralympics, everyone focuses on the story of overcoming their disability and um which is great. It's, it's incredible. But I, I like to focus on the results these people produce. Um, yesterday, for example, there's um, a blind athlete. She's a swimmer named uh, Becca Myers, and she broke the world record in the 100 butterfly. She she swam it in a minute and three seconds, which is that's wicked fast for anybody. I don't care if you're blind or sighted or, or what have you. That's incredibly fast. And we have athletes that run sub 11 seconds in the 100 meters uh one of our athletes his name is jason romero he ran across america this past year from la to new york he ran 60 miles a day um for i think it was 60 days straight and so there's incredible feats being achieved 
by people with, uh, uh, who are blind and visually impaired. And it, it, like you said, it shows that once you start doing it, you can see um, where you can take it. And that's another one of the biggest obstacles I see working with kids who are blind is they're so reluctant to try things. Trying things is one of the biggest things to, you know, you got to, like they say in life, you got to try things and you're, you're probably going to fail a lot of things, but you got to try and to see what you're good at. And um, we always try to, to, you know, make sure they try things at least once or twice to see if they like it. And if they don't, well, you know, that's fine. It's, it's not for everybody. Not every sport's for everyone, but you at least got to give it a shot and, and see what happens with it. Absolutely. I mean, and, and not to overuse the cliche of you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, but that is the reality. So what are your what are your plans here? What do you have coming up in terms of your judo training as well as any prospective competitions? Well, the, the biggest competition we have coming up is in uh, November. There's the Dallas Invitational and the uh, President's Cup. And those are back-to-back. They're uh, November 19th and 20th in Dallas. And it's a, it'll be a big competition, a lot of fighting that weekend. And I'm excited because the only competitions I've had so far was the Paralympic trials this year um, in Dallas this past April. And I did okay there. I was only I was only in judo for about three months at that time. And really, I had a... <laughs> I didn't have a right to be out on that mat fighting against guys going for the, the Paralympic spot, but somehow I finagled my way out there. Um, but since then, I've improved a lot, and I'm excited to, to get out there and um, show them what I got in Dallas in November. And then the international tournaments will be decided in Rio. They'll have meetings to decide where those places will be, uh, where those meets will be held. And then the in 2018, that's when qualification for Rio or for uh, Tokyo starts. So. Um, 2017 is kind of a more of a development year to get some good fights in, get in as many fights and time on the mat as you can, so you can be well prepared for 2018 when the points come into play. And then outside of judo, I also do motivational speaking, and I have a TED Talks coming up in November as well that I'm really excited about, and my talk is going to go over the importance and impact of volunteering uh, with the disabled community. and again, touching upon my story and the impact. And I had a, a track and field coach in high school that really took me under his wing and um, altered the course of my life. And I'm hoping to, to show people that uh, people with disabilities have a lot of potential. It's just a matter of getting, uh, make, maximizing the most of it, uh, out of it and how um, their general population has a role in that too. So I'm excited to do that. Hopefully, I will. Uh, it'll it'll go viral and um, you know make a big impact on people uh, with disabilities across the nation and uh, across the world. So that's what I'm doing um, outside of work. And then with work, of course, just providing people with uh, the opportunities and resources they need to be the best blind athlete they can. And um, as you mentioned, you can go to our website usaba.org for more information on uh, how to get involved in sports and you know, as reach out to me as well to to make your next step and make it happen. Yes, absolutely. And I will I'll say I, I'm really looking forward to this TED talk in November because I think it is going to go viral and uh you know, quite frankly, this is the biggest stage you've been on in terms of probably any sort of motivational speaking platform. Definitely, you're right. And it's 
it's one of those things that has uh, carries a lot of clout when you say, "Oh yeah, I'm doing a TED talk." People kind of, you know, stop in their in their tracks and go, "You're doing a TED talks?" And uh, it was it was a pretty rigorous application process, and there's a few rounds of of interviews and tryouts, but I was able to uh, to get my speech down, and I'm. I'm I'm of the belief when I give a speech, I I say what needs to be heard, not what people want to hear. Um, I mm-hmm. try to I don't know. I've I've heard a lot of uh, great speakers. Don't get me wrong, but they they kind of harp on the same issues and um, when it comes to disability, and I I feel like there's still quite a negative uh, stigma when it comes to disability around society, and my goal is to address those issues and hopefully start, um, you know, changing the trajectory of how people view people with disabilities. And, you know, we're all normal. I, I'm not a big fan of the word normal, but for this, for this uh, <laughs> sentence, I'll use it. We're all normal people. We want the same things as everybody else. We, wanna, we want respect. We want love. We want family. Uh, we want to laugh. And um, there's just a general uncomfortability of the public around people with disabilities, and I'm hoping to uh, to sway that that feeling with my TED talks and, and create some positive change out of it. I would love to know what you think. Blazing shows at gmail.com. That's b l a i s i n shows at gmail.com. Subscribe to the Blazing Access podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and follow the show on social media, Facebook and Twitter at Blazin' Shows. If you have a minute or two, I'd be grateful if you left a review. Tune in for another blast from the past next time here on the Blazin' Access podcast, amplifying the disability voice one story at a time. Have a great day.